0: Oral questions by members?
1: Leader of the Official Opposition.
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. British Columbians expect answers from this Premier on Bill 22. Bill 22, the Mental Health Amendment Act, was introduced 16 months ago on June 23, 2020. This is a bill that the Premier thought was so important that he used it as part of his rationale for breaking his word and calling a snap election during a global pandemic. But one year later, we're not debating any form of safe care legislation. The Premier said he was going to do something about it, and he hasn't, and we continue to lose children to overdose in our province. Can the Premier tell British Columbians how many children in care have died from an overdose this past year.
2: Premier. Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question from the Leader of the Official Opposition. And I I will just say that uh, I do agree with her that the elements in Bill 22 were particularly important to me and to her and to other members of this House, but it was uh, unable to pass in the last Parliament. To that end, I have appointed a new minister responsible, and she is conducting a consultation to meet the gaps that some members felt existed in the legislation. In addition, we've invested $132 million in care uh, in terms of treatment beds, um, recovery opportunities for young people, and invested uh, $500 million in mental health uh, and addictions this year, and going forward, we'll continue to make those investments. Involuntary treatment is already available uh, under the Act. Uh, and I expect healthcare professionals will make their best judgments uh, based on the legislation as it currently exists. And we're going to continue to work with members on both sides of the House to bring forward that bill again. And I'm hopeful that uh, we'll have the collaboration that the member talks about to ensure that the bill is as strong as it can be to protect those vulnerable citizens that she's talking about
1: today. Mayor, leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental.
0: Six people a day are dying, including children. This spring, the opposition submitted multiple FOI requests to the Ministry of Children and Family Development to receive information on the publication of the death of children in care. An internal briefing note contains details of children who, in care, tragically died of an opioid overdose. In 2019, from the period of January to the end of June, nine children in care died including two deaths that were confirmed as opioid overdose deaths. But, shockingly, these details are not published on the government website. Instead, these opioid overdoses of children are classified as accidental deaths. We're in the middle of an opioid crisis, and not sharing that information hinders our ability to actually understand the depth of the problem and make the kind of policy decisions that we need to make children in care safer. So, can the Premier explain why the number of children in care who have died from an overdose is not being provided publicly to better inform the critical work that we must do?
1: Premier.
2: Uh, thank you uh, again, uh, Honourable Speaker, through you to the Leader of the Official Opposition. And I I well understand the the, the feelings and sentiments of all members of this House when we we learn of the tragic death of a child in care. Those children are in the care of us. We are the state. We are the Legislative Assembly and the government of British Columbia. We are the parents in this instance. and We have a higher uh, calling as a result of uh, going through not one but two public health emergencies concurrently here in British Columbia. But I do know, and uh, there are members on the other side who sat in the office of the Minister of Children and Family Development who well understand the challenges of personal privacy, the challenges of making sure that we can do everything we can to be fully transparent about the causes, about the circumstances um, of deaths in care. We have an independent advocate. We have a standing committee of this legislature where we can have those discussions to make the best public policy we can. And I appreciate there is no malice in the question from the member today, and I know that she will work with me and my colleagues through those, those channels that we have available to us—the independent youth advocate, the committee uh, that is constituted in part and parcel of the work that we do here—so that we can make sure that we're making the best possible choices for children today and in the future.
1: Member for West Vancouver Cap- Capilano.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The purpose of the briefing note, Mr. Speaker, was, and I quote, to provide information on statistics of children who died that will be posted on the ministry's website, end quote. For the six-month period covered by this briefing note, the only information that was made public is that three children in care died accidental deaths. But that's not what happened, Mr. Speaker. The internal briefing note says two of those children in care actually died from an opioid overdose. We're in an opioid crisis. This information needs to be given to the public. So can the Premier explain why the tragic overdose deaths of children in care are still only being reported as accidental?
1: Premier.
2: Uh, Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for her question. Uh, She will know that uh, numerous steps are taken when children are in care to ensure that they're in the best possible place to ensure that they're getting the services that they need, whether it be mental health services, whether it be services uh, to deal with other trauma that has led them to become uh, wards of of the Crown. And we continue to work uh, tirelessly with healthcare professionals to ensure that we're doing the best possible care we can. And we've also brought forward a number of initiatives in the past four years to deal with children as they come out of care, as they age out. Because as we all know, those of us who have children, when our children reach age 18, they're still our children. And When they're 24, 25, 26, they still face challenges in their personal lives and in the community. That is exactly the same. In fact, it's exacerbated if you are a, children in care, a child in care coming into the broader population. So we've made it our business on this side of the house to ensure that we're putting in place the building blocks of stability coming out of care. And we'll also continue to work with the coroner, we'll continue to work with the independent advocate and others in this house to ensure that as much information that can be released is released. But this is a challenge and I look to the member for Surrey South because she knows it full well and we, when we were on that side of the house, wanted the same level of information and we expected that this would be a seamless and easy process, and we all know that it's not. I will continue to advocate, as well as the Minister, to ensure that all the information possible does get out to the public. But again, because this has been such a powerful day, with statements by members, with the sentiments at the beginning of the House, I want to just add, that this is a golden opportunity for all of us to redouble our efforts to collectively focus on how we can be more transparent, how we can ensure that the information is made available to help destigmatize the challenges that some members are speaking about directly from their personal experience and what we know to be the case in, in families in this place and,
1: of course, families in our constituencies. Member for West Vancouver Capilano, Supplemental.
3: Uh, Thank you, to the Premier, for that answer, Mr. Speaker. Uh, But this is about information and critical information getting to the public so decision-making can be made. Once again, just like COVID hospitalizations, there is one set of internal numbers and a different set which is provided to the public. And we only know about this because of multiple FOIs. Yet blocking FOI requests seems to be a higher priority to this government than introducing an improved Bill 22 on youth stabilization care. So this is a Premier who called a snap election during a pandemic to talk about protecting children yet a year later there's been zero legislation still brought to this house despite that promise. So why is the Premier focused on hiding information instead of protecting children?
1: Premier.
2: Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And again, I'm encouraged by the enthusiasm from the official opposition. And when the bill does come forward, it's being developed by the minister at this time. And I'm sure that there's going to be dialogue with the critic to make sure that we're getting all of the points that she's raised here today. But the coroner, uh, in in her work, uh, records deaths as natural, accidental, homicide, suicide, undetermined. There is no overdose for children. Category and uh, we'll talk to the coroner about this uh, now that it's been brought to my attention here in the house And we'll see what we can do about making changes there I'll also remind people that section 70 of the act protects the privacy rights of children uh, while, uh, while they're in care and I spoke just just the other day two weeks ago in Chilliwack to a, a parent a father whose child uh, died in care uh, back in 2015 2016 and the issue that he had was that his child could not be named He knew who his child was, of course, but his child could not be named in the interest of protecting privacy, even though he had already passed away. These are challenging issues that make no sense to people when they're grieving. It makes no sense to people who are just perhaps dialing in today to hear the discussion that we're having. But we have to work through those issues. We have to make sure that we're protecting those important elements that we all know are are critical, but we also have to make sure we can break down these barriers to full and open transparency. And I'm glad that the member and the leader of the official opposition is going to be with us as we move
1: forward. Leader of the third party.
4: Uh, Thank you, honorable speaker. There are some health experts who are indicating we may see a fifth wave of COVID-19 in early 2022. We've been here before. We see a rise in cases in other jurisdictions. We hear a call from scientists and health experts for stronger, proactive measures. And we see little action taken before it's too late. We're not out of this fourth wave, and our hospitals are beyond capacity. Our ambulances are backlogged in emergency room waiting bays. And healthcare workers are crying for help to mitigate the number of COVID patients ending up in their wards. Vaccines alone are not getting us out of this. 89.7% of BC's eligible population with a dose of a vaccine is phenomenal, and it has protected millions of people in our province. And yet, our healthcare system is still overwhelmed, surgeries are being cancelled, and burnout is a growing reality for so many healthcare workers. We have been able to see a decline in cases in the past due to strong public health measures measures that we're moving away from now with full capacity indoors, larger social gatherings and limited guidance on, or investment in air filtration and well-fitting masks. My question, honourable speaker, is to the Minister of Health. Are we going to see a more proactive response from this government as we once again see surges in cases in other jurisdictions around the world?
1: Minister of Health. Uh,
5: Thank you, the member, for the question. British Columbia's response to the COVID-19 pandemic will continue to be guided by the science and by public health leadership on health on medical issues. Honorable Speaker, all members of the House will know that uh, on July 1st, the province moved to step three of our restart plan. We are still at step three of that plan. Since then, with the significant success of our vaccination campaign that the member refers to, uh, more than 89% of people over 12 vaccinated. We're very optimistic that children 5 to 11 will be able to join them soon. Uh, we've been able to t- change our approach tactically to deal regionally with outbreaks as they occur and with circumstances as they occur. Such in the, at the end of July and the beginning of August, we took action in the central Hokanagan local health area and in the Interior Health Authority in the middle of August. I'm happy to say that test positivity in interior health, for example, has gone from 14.4% in the middle of August to under 6% today. And this allows us, and members have been asking about this, to consider measures that are currently in place in interior health as well. We've taken action in the eastern Fraser Valley as well. We have added a mask mandate in indoor public spaces in the last month. We are moving forward with third doses today, about 199 long-term care and assisted living homes have received third doses. We are moving forward with these initiatives and will continue to adapt and respond to COVID-19. It doesn't argue with us. We need to continue to have public health measures and continue to have an even higher rate of vaccination in BC.
1: Leader of the third party on a supplemental question.
4: Thank you, honourable speaker, and thank you to the minister um, for the response. And it's not to say that all these measures aren't effective. But at the same time, if we look at our healthcare system, we can all agree that it is struggling. Nurses are overworked and leaving their profession. Doctors are overburdened and frustrated. When somebody calls an ambulance in this province, and this is such a shock for all of us, we don't know if it's going to arrive or not. People are frustrated trying to get COVID tests. I don't think it's enough to assume that what we are doing will keep cases low. It's not enough to react too late. Everyone who works in healthcare has felt the impact of delayed reactions this last wave and those preceding it. The provincial health officer, the Minister of Health and the BC CDC have led British Columbia through an unparalleled pandemic for the better part of two years. There is no way to be perfect in these circumstances. And there's no undermining of the intentions. There has been incredible hard work and effort. But we can always strive to be better. Recognizing the role of aerosol transmission, for example, and how best to mitigate risk with ventilation, filtration, and effective mass. A greater number of health experts, scientists, and doctors helping to give the best available science would not only help inform decision-making, but the collaboration would make our pandemic response stronger. Member has a question. My question is to the Minister of Health. Will this government start to work with a broader range of scientists and health experts to inform decision-making, recognizing the pressing need to reduce the burden on our healthcare system?
5: Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. I thank the Member for her Question her comments and I agree that um, we seek perfection but we don't arrive there and all the time. And this has been an extraordinarily challenging period. And I think one of the things that makes uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry a special leader, that makes Dr. Penny ballam a special leader, uh, is their willingness to work with everybody, to reach out beyond. Uh, beyond to work with people, and we do that at every level. You should see, honorable speaker, how many people from different walks of life Dr. Bonnie Henry meets with regularly to get their advice and to engage with them. Not one-way communication, but two-way communication. So I agree with the member that we have to continue to reach out. We do that every, every week with, uh, with uh, scientists and researchers across BC. We provide, I think, the widest range of health information that's been provided on any subject in the history of British Columbia, and we have to keep working together to do that because uh, the pandemic is, of course, not over, and we have to do things, therefore, and, and work, to work together to do things that we never consider. I would say this finally, that uh, we had uh, yesterday, I think, 137 people in critical care in B.C., 120 of those. We're amongst the less than 11% of people in BC who are unvaccinated. 120. So what I would say to people is, unfortunately, this wave has been a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I have nothing but compassion for people. And they are getting the best health care in the world. But we need people to get vaccinated. We need them to get vaccinated now. And and with the level of transmission we're seeing amongst the number of people who are unvaccinated, we need to continue to raise those levels. I know people are advocating and working together, including all members of this House, to see that happen, but we have to see it happen because it is wrong, when it's preventable, for people to be lying in critical care from Dawson Creek in a hospital in Victoria. It is wrong, and we have to work together to see that that changes.
1: Member for West Vancouver, C to Sky.
6: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Today, British Columbians were disappointed to learn that BC was the last province, the largest province, I should say, to not meet the standard for an international vaccine passport. The Premier promised to, quote, make sure that we are synchronizing this activity to the best of our ability, end quote. Well, clearly, we have not hit the mark. People want to make plans to travel but now BC is at the back of the line. For the Premier, can the Premier guarantee that there'll be no more delays and that BC will be ready to have access to international vaccine passports in time for winter travel?
1: Premier.
2: Well, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for his question. Uh, he will know that 3.7 million British Columbians have downloaded the BC Immunisation Card, so they can interact in their community, they can go to public events, they can know with comfort that the people around them have taken the same choices, made the same choices to protect themselves, their families, and their communities. The member will also know that international travel is a responsibility of the federal government. And when we were, along with Quebec, the first provinces to come out with an immunization card, we did so by saying quite clearly at the time, and um, I regret the member didn't hear this, that if international travel required documentation, that was the responsibility of the federal government. We have uh, waited an awkward interregnum between uh, when we had these conversations as premiers and the federal government back in the spring of this year to the date of today when the prime minister announced that there will be a federal vaccination card that will give out much more information than the information that we requested to get into a restaurant or to go to a hockey game or go to a play. So uh, we are not going to amend the vaccination card we have today without more consultation with the federal government. If you want to travel, you need federal documents to leave the country. If you want to travel now on federally regulated uh, transportation modes, you're going to need a federal uh, transportation card. and We're going to work with British Columbia to make sure they get that, but at the end of the day, these are federal responsibilities and it has been a long time coming, as the member knows, and I regret that it's taken this much time, uh, but you can take it up with this local member of parliament. Oh.
1: Member for Kamloops South Thompson.
7: Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Um, Earlier this year, the Premier uh, blatantly disregarded uh, the Information and Privacy Commissioner uh, when it came to making his $500 million uh, high-risk venture capital scheme, known as NBC, uh, transparent under Freedom of Information legislation. Uh, Five months ago, uh, the Commissioner uh, penned a letter to this government uh, and said, and I quote. Uh, Because NBC will be making decisions about the allocation of significant public monies and discharging important public functions, it should be subject to transparency and accountability under FIPA." Uh, the Premier uh, had an opportunity, he has an opportunity, uh, to be transparent about an agency in charge of $500 million of taxpayers' funds. So my question uh, to the Premier is, uh, is this. Uh, will the Premier listen to the Information and Privacy uh, Commissioner and make NBC subject to the transparency and the accountability
1: uh, under FOI? Minister of Jobs and Economic Recovery. Thank you, Honourable Speaker.
6: It's been some time since we've canvassed this uh, issue in this House, so I'll remind the member that uh, NBC, the structure of NBC, is a continuation of the BC Immigrant uh, Investment Fund, which was created by the previous government. And by the way, by the way, when it was created, Uh, businesses did not have to disclose the information that the member is highlighting now. So we've uh, continued the investment fund uh, over, but we've also done done considerable consultation with the business community on the implications of what the member is suggesting. Uh, Greg Dabion, members in this House may know, who's the president of the BC Business Council, said I'm pleased to see the province launch a strategic investment fund, uh, higher productivity and growth while retaining exciting new and growing business IP and talent in British Columbia." and he stresses the point to us in a letter that it's critically important that we protect the private information in order for the fund to be effective to see good investments come to here in British Columbia. So, hon. Speaker, we've uh, made our position clear to the the uh, independent office. Uh, we've shared with them the feedback that we've gotten from the business community about the sensitivity of the documents that are being handed to government and what that information will mean if it gets shared publicly. And we're going to continue to work with the independent office uh, as we move forward.
1: Member for campbellton Thompson, supplemental.
7: Uh, well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, frankly, uh, that, that's patently ridiculous. The the uh, the B.C. Immigrant uh, inv- Investment uh, Fund, which, uh, which the, the Minister uh, uh, continuously references uh, in saying this is simply a continuation uh, in B.C. is a continuation of it, um, what he fails to, to acknowledge is that the B.C. Um, I- immigrant Investment Fund involved private uh, dollars, private funds, not half a billion dollars of taxpayers' money. That's that's an important distinction, uh, Mr. Speaker. Um, uh, This this Premier has promised transparency over and over and over again, and then they set up NBC uh, with no public access to NBC's business plan, no public access to investment scorecards of the actual investments, and did decide uh, not to to make NBC subject uh, to FOI. The Premier said this, uh, uh, and I quote, I think all British Columbians should be concerned when their government hides things from them. The whole point of having access to information is so we can all make reasonable judgments about the effectiveness or ineffectiveness of our political leadership, end quote. That's the Premier, Mr. Speaker. But it seems like the, the Premier is determined to continue to ignore the advice of the uh, Information and Privacy Commissioner. Um, in his May 19th letter, the Commissioner uh, wrote, and I quote, The public's trust of NBC will depend upon its ongoing transparency and accountability. The public's right of access to information under FIPA tempered by exceptions that, are, uh, that can appropriately protect NBCs and third-party interests is vitally important to achieving and keeping that trust." End quote. Mr. Speaker, my question uh, to the Premier again. Uh, why is the Premier continuing to ignore the advice of the Information and Privacy uh, Commissioner to subject his government's half-billion-dollar high-risk venture capital scheme to freedom of information laws in British Columbia?
1: Minister of Jobs and Economic Recovery.
6: Yeah, Honourable Speaker, um, uh, I just I can't believe this uh, member is lecturing us about freedom of information given his history. Honourable Speaker, in BC. Hon. Speaker, NBC will uh, uh, issue an annual report on the performance of its investments. It will be tabled here at the legislature and made available to the public. Hon. Speaker, every five years, they will go to an external third party for an audit. Hon. Speaker, um, I remind the members that this is a continuation of their fund. In fact, I've got a letter here that uh, was written at the time when questions were being asked of them. Uh, about this fund and there's questions being asked about whether they would include it under FOIPA and the Minister Ian Black at the time uh, wrote the letter and said that the accountability measures that the investment fund has is sufficient to meet the needs, Honourable Speaker, and so uh, Honourable Speaker,
1: Order, please uh, NBC, Order.
6: Country. NBC is an exciting venture, Honourable Speaker. This is the first of its kind in North America. The, the Danish government, the Irish government, the Scottish government is looking to BC, uh, Honourable Speaker. We're going to invest in BC companies. We're going to help them scale up. We're going to create good paying jobs here in British Columbia. We're proud of it, and we're going to continue to move forward. <laughs>
8: Member for Abbotsford South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, it was interesting to hear the Premier use the word transparency and pledge towards that. But actions speak louder than words, Mr. Speaker. We've been battling for years whether the Premier could take a simple screenshot of his computer through an FOI process. First, the Premier was incapable. Then he took the opposition to arbitration, and he lost. Then he said it would cost thousands of dollars to create a program to take a screenshot, which we paid. The Premier is now claiming it will cost even more money. The Privacy Commissioner did not agree with him. He's disagreed and ignored the Privacy Commissioner many times. So our question to the Premier is, why are you taking so long to hide and provide screenshots of your personal computer, and why are you so determined to ignore the 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 Privacy Commissioner?
1: (laughs) Through the Chair, Member.
8: Well, thank, thank
2: you, Honourable Speaker. And again, I am uh, perplexed at the interest of the member of the opposite side about what's on my computer. Uh, he's welcome to come over uh, today, and he can take a look at it if he wants to. The issue, Honourable Speaker, the issue, Honourable Speaker, is is fishing trips like that that's clogging up freedom of information for ordinary British Columbians. And as members will know, as members will know. I mean, like, get real. Who cares? Like, Who cares what's on my screen of my computer in my office? Not many people. What British Columbians want to know is how are we making decisions? What is the duty to document by government? And, Honourable Speaker, if the member for Kamloops South was in cabinet with the bill that's currently Order. before the House there would have been a $50,000 fine for his staff rather than just the ignominity of having to work for him.
1: Member for fraser Nicola.
9: Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
4: Continue, Two weeks please. ago,
9: in this House, I shared the story of the village of Lytton. And the Premier stood up and made some promises once again. The people of Lytton are still waiting. They believed the Premier when he said he would have their backs. We're at 113 days since fire tore through Lytton, burning it to the ground. And the people still have no access to interim housing. They still don't have full access to their own properties. And adding to the pain is a failure to communicate from this premier and his government. Residents are scattered throughout the province, and now they feel they're being abandoned. Here's Judith Judith Urquhart's quote. The biggest heartache is losing our community. Everyone is trying to pick up the pieces on their own. My question to the premier is, After 113 days of waiting, can the Premier tell the residents of Lytton when they will actually see a plan for their recovery?
10: Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I uh, appreciate and thank the the member for that question uh, because I know how uh, trying the situation is for the residents of Lytton, and I know how much she cares and is working to ensure uh, that uh, we can get uh, the community of Lytton rebuild. I can can confirm for her uh, that the report of the Fraser Basin Council uh, which has come to my ministry and is, is undergoing a, a final review, uh, is, an, is expected uh, to be uh, presented to the village of, of Lytton um, next week. I've also committed to her uh, that uh, when I get it that uh, she will also be able to review it and see it uh, at that time. Uh, what I also want to uh, to assure the, uh, the, the member is that uh, not only the supports that we have talked about have been extended to The 30th of November, but I know one of the issues that she has raised with me and is particularly concerned about, and residents are concerned about, is that ability to get back into the community. And one of the issues has been the the sifting has been taking place for personal valuables. That has now finished. I can also uh, let her know uh, that again, one of the challenges, of course, has been the, the debris and the toxicity around the debris, and that. Houses that have insurance, the insurance company takes that, and if you're uninsured, that's a real problem. We are coordinating with uh, the insurance companies, with the community, so that the province will make sure that that debris uh, for for those, those residents is going to be cleared. They do not have to worry about that. The province is going to ensure that that is done. There's significant work underway with the, the, uh, the, the interim CAO who came from Kamloops and who has considerable experience in dealing with wildfires, and I will continue to work with the MLA and keep her up updated on the progress because there is significant work underway, but I wanted her to know that in this house that that's, those are some of the steps that are they're, they're taking place.